You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back to this Friday edition of the Bruce Exclusive. And you know what Friday brings. You know what we do on Fridays. On Fridays, we wear pink. No, I'm just kidding. On Fridays, we do almighty takes. And we do crumbling their cookies. And I have collected a wonderful amount of crumbling their cookies and almighty take goodness for you. As a reminder, you can get your almighty takes to me every week by emailing me. I am Bruce almighty at yahoo.com. I will tell you that is my preferred method by which you share your almighty takes with me email because it's easier for me to get all of them together when I can just copy and paste out of my email and don't have to find it in a bajillion different places. But if you must, you can hit me with the hashtag almighty take on Twitter. You can DM me on Twitter with your almighty takes, or you can DM me on Instagram with your almighty takes. I do have a preference. It is email. I am Bruce almighty at yahoo.com. But however you want to reach me in that case, you can. With that out of the way, let's dive into the almighty takes that you have sent me of which there are a few. If you'll notice, the Friday episodes of this pod have gotten longer and longer because I keep getting more and more almighty takes every week. At some point, I will have to do something about that. I don't know what I'm going to do. Break it down into sections. I'm not sure. Lump them together, perhaps. Come up with a different thing. But until that happens, I just want to share that I appreciate very much all of you taking an interest in this, being a part of this podcast and sharing your thoughts with me. Vintage Buffalo Threads on Instagram says that his first take isn't very almighty, but I fear Tredavious White will be taken advantage of by DK Metcalf. I think Trey's one weakness in coverage is bigger bodied athletes boxing him out of the play on the ball. I also think McDermott schemes this game similar to the Chiefs game by attempting to take away the big play and shortening the game. I would not be shocked if we see a similar defensive game plan against the Seattle Seahawks that we saw against the Kansas City Chiefs. Would not be shocked at all. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil a lot of the takes right now. 
I actually think that the Bills have a better chance of beating the Seattle Seahawks than they did the Kansas City Chiefs. I know. I know. Crazy, right? The Seahawks have similar levels of speed with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that the Chiefs have with Miko Hardman and Tyreek Hill. But the Chiefs also have a better defense than the Seattle Seahawks, a tight end who needs desperately to be worried about in Travis Kelsey, and an extremely good quarterback just like the Seahawks do. In addition, I think the Kansas City Chiefs have a better offensive line and a better running back. I think that the same game plan, if perhaps executed a tad bit better against the Seattle Seahawks than it was against the Kansas City Chiefs, gives the Bills a fighting chance to win this game, despite Seattle having an MVP candidate at quarterback. The Arizona Cardinals beat them. I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are a bad team by any means. I'm like, well, you know, it's the Jets. Not like that. But I actually think the Bills' chances of beating the Seahawks are higher than their chances were of beating the Chiefs, assuming the same game plan is outlined. DK Metcalf is a problem, but I don't think Tredavious White's scrappiness at the catch point is going to be the thing I'm concerned about. My concern with DK is twofold. Number one, it's the vertical speed. Russell Wilson throws an incredible deep ball. We are operating under the assumption right now that Micah Hyde probably will be able to play, but that's not sure. Micah Hyde is the key to making sure that Russell Wilson doesn't hit a lot of deep balls, but that's rare speed from DK Metcalf. Rare ability to track the deep ball. The second thing that concerns me most is DK Metcalf's ability after the catch because of how strong he is. I'm not super worried about him at the catch point because I do think Tredavious White is good at the catch point and will fight. But my main concerns with DK are the straight line speed and the yak. So I'm going to say that this is somewhat probable overall because I'm not sure about the first one because I think I'm more concerned about the speed and the yak than I am about the catch point. But I do think there's a very reasonable chance that Sean McDermott schemes this game similar to the Chiefs. So I'm going to say somewhat probable overall. Chris the Bills fan, love the show. Thank you for all you do for Bills Mafia. You are quite welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for saying that. My almighty take is that the Bills implement the same strategy against the Seahawks that they use against Kansas City, basically begging them to run the ball while taking away the big plays in the passing game. This kind of works like it kind of worked against Kansas City. The Chiefs pass for under 300 yards, but rush for over 180. I'm assuming you meant Seahawks there. The longer drives lead to less drives, which ultimately leads to them scoring less than 30 points, which gives the Bills chance if the offense shows up. I think this is highly likely. I think this is highly probable that the Bills utilize a very similar game plan that they did. Because I don't see why you wouldn't. It, it accomplished the intended purpose against Kansas City. Now, if we could tackle better, that would help. Didn't give up third downs as often. Get a break here or there. But when you're playing a high-powered offense and you're playing an offense that is better than yours, I mean, is, is, that, is that bad for me to say? That's not coaching scared. That's recognizing that Seattle's number one in the league in points scored per game 
and they have an MVP candidate. The Bills have a quarterback who was an MVP candidate, so that's good. But they're not even close to being that man at many points per game. So that's not coaching scare. That's just recognizing where your strengths and your weaknesses lie relative to your opponent. I think this is highly probable. Pete says, hi, Bruce. Huge fan of your podcast. A real education for a Bills fan based in Scotland. Here, here to my Scottish friends. Here is his almighty take. Following a successful run game against the Patriots, the Bills take a multi-dimensional approach to offense against the Seahawks defense even weaker than our own. We see an even split between pass and run with Motor and Moss running for a combined 150 yards and two touchdowns. Allen throws for 200 to 250 and two touchdowns, and the game boils down to whether or not we can keep Russell Wilson relatively quiet. With a healthier secondary and some big plays from Trey later in the game, we edge a win and return to media attention as a more rounded, deep playoff contender. Keep up your awesome work, Pete. Pete, I like where you're going with this. I like the optimism. I will say that balance looks different for the Bills than it may kind of appear to you that balance would mean at first glance. Balance doesn't necessarily mean 50-50. Balance for this team is 60-40. And that's kind of the way it was with specific games for the first four games of the year when this offense was doing really well. I would anticipate a closer to 60-40 split than an even split because there doesn't seem to be a reason why you'd alter it. Now, we know why you altered it last time. You altered it last time because... The weather was bad, and the Patriots rolled out six and seven defensive backs every single snap. I do not anticipate the Seahawks doing that. We're going to get into a little bit of my crumbling their cookie stuff, but the Seahawks have a specific defense that they have played under Ken Norton Jr., and that's just kind of what they do. I don't think we're going to see something outlandish enough where we would need to go heavily one direction. Belichick rolls out a different defense and a different offense basically every week. And last week it was, you know, dime and quarter against the Bills. And they were wise to run the ball as often as they did and only attempt 18 passes. That was a reasonable thing for them to do. I do not think that's going to happen this time around. I think we go 60-40 run pass because that's what we historically have wanted to do until circumstances drew us other directions. So I'm going to say somewhat unlikely, but I would take a Bills win. Sean says his almighty take for Friday's pod is that Sean McDermott's loyalty will be the death of the Bills. His willingness to overlook certain flaws of players that fit his system and culture will kill the Bills defense and set it back. Brandon Bean has to be the catalyst that makes the hard decisions to get players that they need and upset Sean sometimes and just tell him to coach. Okay, so I actually got a couple almighty takes and a couple emails and a couple DMs immediately following the game and immediately following the trade deadline. And some of them you can feel specific emotions in the writers. And this is one of those. And I talked about this a little bit yesterday specifically because of what Sean said. I wanted Sean to have me talk about ex-Panthers and things like that because I do think that there's a reasonable point to be made that familiarity and loyalty is sometimes a bad thing. I don't think an overly sweeping statement can be made that Sean McDermott overlooks flaws of players that fit his system and culture. 
I think that Sean McDermott views system fit and culture fit as being a very important trait. And I think that in the scenario where there is a lack of a better option or there's a leadership void or things like that, I think that those things matter to Sean McDermott as a trait, just like speed does, just like play strength, just like ball skills, just like every other individual trait, those things matter to Sean McDermott. Now, we can make a separate argument as to whether they may matter too much, but I think that whether or not they matter too much is based on what alternatives you had at the time. So given the fact that Sean McDermott doesn't pick the players for this team that Brandon Bean does, it's hard to distinguish specific players that you say, well, that was a Sean McDermott signing. That was a Brandon Bean signing because Sean McDermott was only really in charge of personnel during the period in this bill's history when Doug Whaley was essentially muzzled and Sean McDermott was calling the shots. So I think that when it comes to player personnel and decision-making, I think you have to assume that Brandon Bean is making the call. I think it's easy because we hear from Sean McDermott more to get potentially more frustrated at Sean McDermott. But ultimately, Brandon Bean is making these calls from a personnel standpoint. So he's the one we need to have a discussion with when it comes to bringing in specific players. Now, if you're having a separate discussion on playing time, on depth chart decisions, things like that, then yes, we can talk about Sean McDermott. But I don't know of any like that where the backup is clearly better. I mean, you could talk about this with AJ Klein, but we talked about this yesterday on the pod. Yes, okay, AJ Klein's not playing as well as we want him to do. But you can't just say anyone's better than AJ Klein. I don't think AJ Klein's backup is better than AJ Klein right now. You could make an argument with the Tyrell Dodson, but Tyrell Dodson's hurt. You could also make an argument that the 53-man roster surprise Delshawn Phillips might have been someone who would have played well, but again, hurt. Moving on, Josh Allen Stan says his almighty take is Buffalo's return of an efficient air raid reappears. Seattle's defense is subpar. That's saying it nicely. And the team will look to take advantage of that. That being said, the run game is there too. They get over 110 rushing. That being said, I worry Russ and the Sea Chickens are too good this time around. Yeah, I'd say this is somewhat probable. I think that there's a chance that the difference between the running game for the Bills for the first four games of the season which was not effective even though they were getting roughly 40% share. And the running game now is the return of John Feliciano. I think that that matters. And so I think that there's a chance, even if they go 60-40, that they might be more effective as a team and as an offense running the ball than they had previously been in the first four games of the season. So I think this is somewhat probable. Also, Worrying about Russ and the Sea Chickens being too good is completely reasonable because they're a very good team. And they're good because they score lots of points. Ethan says his almighty take is offense, high-scoring game. Zach Moss has a receiving touchdown. And Diggs goes over the century mark. Defense, Wilson shreds the secondary, but key interception in the second half will tip the game one way. Tip the game which way, Ethan? Tip the game in our favor? Tip the game in the Sea Chicken's favor. What's Ethan, are you out there? Ethan, I need answers. DM me your answers. Let's see. Offense. High scoring game. Sure. Zach Moss has a receiving touchdown. Improbable, but I like it. Diggs going over the century mark. 
I'm starting him in fantasy for specifically that reason. Defense, Wilson shreds the secondary. Seems likely. Key interception in the second half will tip the game one way. Possible. I'm going to go with overall, this almighty take, holistically, I am going to say somewhat probable. AJ, Mr. Nolan. My almighty take for the Seahawks game is that our defense will prepare to take away the passing game with Seattle's running backs beat up. That being said, they'll run all over us with whoever they start. We lose the game with the score being close, but the game will never feel close. I think this is somewhat probable. This seems very reasonable to me. With the tackling issues that the Bills have had, specifically at the second level, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, who have historically not been great tacklers, but there have been splash plays that have helped make up for it that are not happening this year. So that's holding the defense back. Being able to run all over the Buffalo Bills defense is a lot easier when you have a specific game plan that allows it. Losing the game? Completely within the realm of possibility. I'm going to say this is somewhat probable. Andy says he's going to leave me with an almighty take. Stefan Diggs is a dark horse MVP candidate. He is near the top of the league in receiving yards and receptions. I believe he's also on pace to shatter single season team records in those categories. If Allen gets back or close to back to his form from weeks one to four, he could also finish near the top of the league in passing yards. If Diggs and Allen both finish in the top three in each respective category, you have to at least consider the former for MVP. There's no way year three Josh Allen does these year three Josh Allen things without Diggs on this roster. Having a wide receiver win league MVP in this NFL, today's culture, is going to be really difficult. Because if he has a lot of receiving yards, that means the quarterback probably has a lot of passing yards. And if the quarterback is even close, even in the same vein as the wide receiver, in that case, they're going to err on the side of the quarterback. I think the chances of a wide receiver winning an MVP come in this very specific situation. The quarterback is a well-established non-MVP player. Someone who's good but not great, and everyone just kind of accepts that they're good and not great. Think about players like Kirk Cousins, or Ryan Fitzpatrick, or Philip Rivers. Everyone kind of knows what these people are at this point. But if they have one receiver who breaks out and that team does really, really well, you can almost start to separate out the receiver from the quarterback. And that's almost what you need to have happen in order to get a wide receiver, the MVP of the NFL. In this case, I think if they were close, everyone would pick Josh Allen because Diggs has been good before. Josh Allen has never been this good before. So they're not going to look at it as a Stefan Diggs thing. They're going to look at it as a Josh Allen thing. If Josh Allen had already plateaued and we kind of knew who he was as a player, and then all of a sudden Stephon Diggs has a bonkers season and the Bills are very successful, then yes, in that scenario, I can see it. But I think that that very narrow description of a scenario I just gave you is the only reasonable possibility for a wide receiver to win league MVP in this league. Joe says... Maybe not 100% about the past game, but here's my almighty take. 
Schematically, Star Latule is the most important part of the defensive puzzle, and Smoke is the most important part of the offense. Okay, so I think that schematically, the linebackers are the most important part of a Sean McDermott defense. They have been linebacker-centric since he was in Carolina. They, When they are good, it is because the linebackers are playing well, and when they are bad, it's because the linebackers aren't playing well. So, star being gone is a real thing, for sure. But every single time the Bills' defense plays well, it's because Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are playing well. The Bills can have a, a good defense and have Star not play well that particular game. Conversely, Josh Allen's always going to be the most important part of the offense. Always. Because he represents someone who touches the ball every single play. Now, if this is a really, really, really run-heavy offense, you can make an argument for an offensive lineman or a running back. But this is a 60-40 passing offense at this point. There are specific games, like the Patriots game, where that has to be altered. But John Brown is very, very, very important. Because the relationship that he has with Josh Allen and the comfort level that Josh Allen has throwing the ball to a professional route runner that John Brown is, means he has two perimeter options instead of just one. Gabriel Davis is not there yet, ladies and gentlemen. The discussion earlier this year about how Gabriel Davis can take over for John Brown, I hope we all can see now that it's not that simple. John Brown is extremely important, but most important, I have to go with Josh Allen. Chris says, hey, Bruce, been a big fan of your content for the while since the Nick and Nolan inception, and I highly respect your opinions and views on the Bills and football. Thank you. Like you, I am shy and don't generally put myself out there, but I think that my almighty take for this week is worth it. My take is the Bills offense has been figured out by the league and the answer doesn't require elite defensive personnel. The Bills deficiencies in the run game, mostly due to offensive line play, allows teams to play off the line of scrimmage and keep everything in front of them. This also spells trouble for the Bills as they do not have any weapons with elite yak ability outside of maybe Singletary. Side note, I am curious about where Buffalo ranks in yak among receivers compared to other teams, as I feel they rank low. Therefore, the defense can just play to numbers advantages on the back end and swarm the ball, which doesn't require elite defensive personnel. Thanks for always making great content, and I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this take. Thank you so much for taking the time, Chris. I really appreciate it, and thank you for being a listener for a long time. It's been a... (laughs) It's been a it's been a crazy couple years doing this, and I'm 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 extremely blessed. I uh, you guys have shown me grace that I do not deserve, and I am I'm I'm very grateful to all of you. So to the take, I specifically looked up some yak stuff for you, Chris, and the Bills have two receivers in the top fifty in yak. Cole Beasley with 190 yards of yak. And Stefan Diggs, who has 142 yards of yak. Just beneath him is Devin Singletary with 139 yards of yak. But yes, the average placement of the Buffalo receivers is lower than average when it comes to teams. Specifically from the running backs, if you look at some of the top players in yak, Alvin Kamara is right there. Mike Davis 
is right there. Ezekiel Elliott is right there. James Robinson is right there. Debo Samuel, who oftentimes gets a lot of those pop passes. Jonathan Taylor, the rookie from Indianapolis. Miles Gaskin, running backs are really high on this list. Clyde Edwards-Alaire from Kansas City is on this list. Giovanni Bernard from Cincinnati. These are all people that are way higher. I do think that there is a, a yak issue with the Bills, but part of this is simply the offensive style that they play. The other part is the fact that Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are not game-breaking running backs. They don't have elite speed. They have good vision. They have good contact balance. They'll get you everything that's blocked and they won't make any mistakes. And they might be able to get you out of a tackle or two and get you a little bit more than is blocked every time. But they don't have game-breaking speed that allows you to get yourself out in front of defenders and really turn the corner and really turn a, a good play into a huge play. They just don't have that. And so because of that, you're not going to see the same stuff. You're not going to see a lot of halfback wheel routes from the Buffalo Bills offense because you can't really outrun a lot of linebackers down the si- sideline with the Bills players. That's just not something that's really in this skill set, in the wheelhouse of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Specifically about the Bills' deficiencies, I do think we're starting to see the Bills' deficiencies in the run game start to shore up thanks to the arrival of John Feliciano. Well, Bruce, it was just because the Patriots. Well, well, yeah, but they started to see some success against the Jets the previous week too. And the Jets did not play as soft as the Patriots did. So I think the return of John Feliciano and some time and Josh being a little bit better at the checks at the line of scrimmage, getting us into good plays, I think that all of those things contribute to the running game being better. So I think that the key for Buffalo moving forward is for Josh Allen and Brian Dable to be able to manufacture underneath passing concepts against soft zone coverage and recognize situationally when they are going to see specific deep zones and be able to call up specific zone beater concepts at those times. You can't just call them willy-nilly. You have to pick your shots. And when it happens, you have to hang in the pocket and you have to deliver the ball downfield. And that's going to take some time. It took time for Josh Allen to figure out the whole man coverage on the outside, cover one, cover zero, bring pressure. And he did. It's going to take him some time to figure out this. I'm not willing to say that the Bills offense has been figured out by the league quite yet. If the Bills offense at the very end of this year is still looking the way it has looked, passing the ball and not having nearly as much success as they did the first couple of weeks, I will start to get concerned. But it's too early for me. Pete, but an entirely different Pete, says this via email. Hello, Bruce. Almighty hot take. I prophesy the Bills outperform their averages of 108.6 yards per game on the ground and 263.4 net yards per game through the air. The team theme for both Buffalo and Seattle thus far this season has been offensive output paired with underwhelming defense. Opportunity abounds for both of these offenses on Sunday. Not to worry. In what quickly becomes a back-and-forth shootout, the Bills and Seahawks account for more than 30 points each on route to a Bills victory. 
while we leave the game feeling no better about the state of the defense, we at least reaffirm that the offense and coaching can get the job done. Thanks as always. Keep up the great work. I think this is somewhat probable. I do think it's somewhat probable this is a shootout. If we don't have the rain like we had against the Chiefs and we're not able to necessarily always stop the Seattle team the way that we would like to, maybe slow them down perhaps, I think it's very reasonable that each team scores more than 30. I think it's very reasonable quite a bit. The Seahawks have the number one offense in the league, primarily due to Russell Wilson and their receivers, so it's going to be a hard task. I'm not willing to predict a Bills victory, but I'd say this is somewhat probable overall. Jeremy says, Bruce, I understand this question may be intellectually or financially dishonest, but it's intended to generate a discussion on the Bills' priorities going forward. Say you're the Bills' GM. You look over the numbers and realize you can do one of the following. Extend Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds or extend John Feliciano and Daryl Williams. You cannot do both. What do you do? Again, I don't know if this falls under the almighty take umbrella, so feel free to ignore. I would never ignore, Jeremy. Jeremy, bring in great stuff. I will allow it. I understand that this is a hypothetical situation that isn't the case. But if it was, if you made me choose, gun to the head, Bruce, you can take John Feliciano and Daryl Williams or Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. I'm taking Feliciano and Daryl Williams. You might be shocked by that, given how highly I have spoken of Matt Milano. But Matt Milano's injury history, Tremaine Edmonds regressing, I think that Feliciano and Williams combined would cost markedly less money than Milano and Edmonds combined. I think Milano and Edmonds combined could be looking at 29 to $31 million a year for the two of them. Feliciano and Daryl Williams could be looking at $15 million a year for both of them. I don't know what Daryl Williams would get on the market, but if Feliciano were to take a reasonable starting guard contract the way that Quentin Spain did at $5 million a year, Daryl Williams gets maybe 10. That's reasonable to me. I would take Feliciano and Williams over Milano and Edmonds at the price tags that I think that they would get. In addition, I think linebackers are easier to find than offensive linemen. Offensive linemen have been kind of a problem. And I think that Josh Allen needs an offensive line. He has a tendency to hold the ball. Part of that's because he bails out sometimes, tries to jumpstart the scramble drill that the wide receivers have to go through, hangs onto the ball, tries to make a play down the field. I want offensive line who can hold up. I think Feliciano is also a tone setter for the offensive line. This is a tough call. If you made me pick them, I'm taking Feliciano and Darrell Williams, not because I think they're more talented players, but for all the other reasons that I already shared. Patch says, Josh Allen added more chapters to his wins, not a quarterback stat book than previous years. Cover one, heavy box, check. Cover two, zone all, check. Cover three, four, five, light amoeba box, check. Gunslinger, dink and dunk, game manager, run block caller, Check. Now, at 10,000 reps, he can be evaluated as a quarterback. So, Patch is talking about the stages of Josh Allen. And the common discussion that Josh Allen was 10,000 reps behind Baker Mayfield coming out of college and some of these other 
seniors and juniors who had thrown the ball a lot over the course of their college career, even trending back toward high school. I have gone on record as saying multiple times that I was going to give Josh Allen to the end of 2020 before I started thinking, hey, is he the guy? Is he not the guy? Because I knew how much of a project he was. And so when everyone else was saying, no, he's not the guy, or yes, he's the guy, or trying to christen him or bury him, I was preaching patience. I was preaching patience when people wanted to christen him, and they got mad at me. And I was preaching patience when everyone wanted to bury him, and they got mad at me. Project quarterback needs three years. I will evaluate it myself at the end of 2020. You are welcome to do it whenever you'd like. I'm not here to tell you when you can evaluate a quarterback. I think it's reasonable when you have a project quarterback who you knew was a project to give him three years. And that's what I'm going to do. I think that how he evaluates this last hurdle, because in my opinion, this is one of the last hurdles for Josh Allen, is how do I defend this specific look? If he can clear it and be effective against the defenses he's been seeing the last couple of weeks, I suddenly become very optimistic about Josh Allen. Leston Harris says, my almighty take for the Seahawks week is that we open up again with our passing game on offense. The Seattle secondary has been suspect and it would be conducive to a successful game plan to target it. Jamal Adams may return, but Josh has seen success against him previously. If you'll indulge me, do you think we see our new linebacker in action Sunday? Love the pod. Thanks so much, Mr. Harris. I really appreciate that. I do not think we will see Darren Lee on Sunday. I think it's highly improbable that we see Darren Lee on Sunday. I do think we're going to open with a passing game. I think this is a very, very highly probable take. I think it would be foolish to come into this game with the same game plan and run the ball the same way that you did against the New England Patriots because you had factors there that took you out of the thing you do best, which is throw the ball down the field to Stephon Diggs, John Brown, and Cole Beasley, namely being the weather and the way New England was playing you. Neither one of those two things is likely to be the case for the game against the Seahawks. Therefore, throw the ball. David says, his almighty take, Buffalo has just won the game I wanted most for the entire year, referring to the Patriots game. I don't, in fact, want to hear negative narratives this week. I want to enjoy the win. We can let the coaches worry about Seattle and resume nitpicking next week. Well, I mean, I, I can't stop, David. I can't stop myself. There will always be negative. There will always be positive. The dark needs the light, man. The yin and the yang. The dark side and the light side. Dogs and cats. You know, whatever metaphor you'd like to use. I'd say it's highly probable that you're probably going to have to hear some negative narratives <laughs> this week. Sorry about that, David. Padden says, today, he was doing this at the trade deadline on November 3rd. Today will mark the most consequential decision of 2020. Brandon Bean will make a trade to shore up the defensive or offensive line. I'm going to say highly improbable, Patton. <laughs> there was no trade made. I am so sorry for your take. That, that didn't end up happening the way we wanted it to. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to crumble the cookies of the Seattle Seahawks. Stick with me. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We're going to crumble some cookies before we get out of here. I love cookies. My favorite cookie is actually coconut oatmeal. Don't hate. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Coconut oatmeal. That's right. I said it. So without further ado, let's dive into... A couple key points that I think will lead to victory for the Buffalo Bills against the Seattle Seahawks, some of which we've talked about or hinted at previously in this podcast. The first one, throw the ball. I know it seems obvious, but last week's game plan offensively for Buffalo was pretty run heavy and New England continued to oblige us by playing six and seven defensive backs. So it should be said that a return to 60-40 pass-run ratio should be the game plan this week. Now, you might be thinking, Bruce, what if they just do what New York Jets did? Do what New England Patriots did? Well, I don't think they're going to. You see, the Seattle Seahawks have some interesting defensive tendencies. For example, in 2019, the Seahawks played base 4-3 defense more than any team in the entire league even consistently matching up their base 4-3 against opponents who were running 11 personnel with three wide receivers. The Seahawks love base defense. They will continually stay there. And they drafted a linebacker in the first round in Jordan Brooks, already having one of the best linebacker duos in the league with KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner. Because they know that that's how they roll. They roll with three linebackers a lot. So I don't think we're going to see six and seven defensive backs on the field for the Seattle Seahawks. I would be shocked if they weren't in base defense a large portion of this game. Now, obviously, they would go nickel or dime against 10 personnel. But if we roll out 11 and they roll out base personnel, that wouldn't be shocking to me. They do it all the time. And they have the same defensive coordinator and a lot of the same tendencies this year that they did last year. So because of that, There's going to be opportunities for the Buffalo Bills against this defense. You have to take advantage of them. The solution to the idea that they're going to play base and maybe you're not going to have the same impact running the ball against the Seattle Seahawks that you did against diamond quarter looks that you got from New England, the solution, pass the ball. Now, understand that Bobby Wagner has gotten a little blitz happy in recent weeks and Jamal Adams is coming back. The Seahawks will bring pressure from Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams. Have things built in to do this. In addition, the Seahawks traded for Carlos Dunlap, who's been a very consistent pass rusher over the last decade. And he's going to be on the field for the first time. The Bills need to have things built into the offensive game plan to take advantage of these things. RPOs, quick screens to the outside to get numbers at advantages on the perimeter. You have to make them pay for vacating scenarios in the middle of the field. If they vacate areas, you have to be able to take advantage of it. So let Josh make decisions in the RPO game. I understand that Josh in the zone read doesn't always make the right calls, but Josh in the RPO game has a tendency to make the right calls. Give him as many as humanly possible. On defense, 
you got to play zone. You cannot hold up in man. Not to DK Metcalf, not to Tyler Lockett. You cannot hold up. Now, that's nothing to be ashamed of. There's lots of teams that can't hold up in man against them. But the Bills' secondary has always lacked elite speed and needs over-the-top safety help like Micah Hyde to keep them from getting the doors blown off them in the passing game down the field. You gotta drop in a zone. You have to stay disciplined in your pass rush lanes. The front four cannot be gaming and stunting all over the place. You're gonna open up artificial windows for Russell Wilson to step up and further extend the play. Russell Wilson likes to hold the ball. Josh Allen likes to hold the ball. If I'm game playing against Josh Allen, I am not letting him roll to his right. He wants to do that. I am compressing the offensive right side of the line, and I'm making him turn his back to the defense and try and roll out left like he has a tendency to do. That's how you attack Josh Allen. Russell Wilson, you have to get him to drift backwards. So no crazy stunts up front, no crazy games. Maintain your pass rush lanes. That's right. It rhymes. That's what we do. You might see a similar game plan to the Chiefs. And if that's the case, I understand that. The Seahawks may not be able to take advantage of it as well as the Chiefs did. They have a banged up running back room, a less formidable defense, a less talented offensive line. If you want to roll out the same defensive game plan you rolled out against the Chiefs, I'm all about it. But you have to play zone and you have to maintain your rush lanes. Ladies and gentlemen, we have done it. We have completed the podcast Another week of two 45-minute-plus episodes for the Bruce Exclusive. I'll tell you what, it's been a marathon, ladies and gentlemen. We just have so much to talk about, and I want to make sure I get it done for you all. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, when we are hopefully celebrating a Buffalo Bills victory and a return to national darling status, I bid you adieu, saying, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.